This episode of Speakeasy is brought to you by Compass Real Estate in Alexandria. From search to signing, Compass is building a smarter real estate experience in Alexandria and beyond. Discover it at compass.com. Hello, and welcome to Speakeasy, the Alexandria Times podcast. I'm your host, Cody Melikline, a reporter at the Times, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Olekon Jayafis. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. This is the first time we've had someone on our show who's actually not from Alexandria, but don't hold that against him. Uh, JFS is a Brooklyn-based artist whose work explores speculative futures, African megacities, and the way urban spaces can both free and oppress people. His work has been featured at New York City's MoMA, the Guggenheim in Spain, the Studio Museum in Harlem, and soon to be at Alexandria's waterfront. Um, and we'll get to that last one in a little bit, but welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Again, it's my pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, as I said, it's it's a unique case because this is the first time we've had a guest who isn't a native Alexandrian, but obviously your work is touching Alexandria. Yes. You're in the middle of installing a new public art um, installation at the waterfront as part of a, an ongoing series in the city. We'll definitely get to that in a little bit, but I wanted to start off by talking about you because I don't think I don't people might not be aware of you but even if they are they might not know kind of about your your upbringing and your path to where you are now okay let's do it you were born and raised in Nigeria mm-hmm. um where in Nigeria were you born and raised um I was born in Ibadan Nigeria um and then lived in Ife Ile Ife um till six six years old and then that's when I moved to the United States yeah and as I understand it, w- it wasn't exactly your choice, your family's choice to move to the States. Yeah, it was a military coup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of, um, uh, you know, upheaval is Nigeria sort of navigates its way to democracy. Yeah. And do you still have family there? I do. I do have a lot of family there. Yeah. Do, do you, I, I assume you find yourself going back there? Um, I hadn't been back in a very long time, um, almost 30 years. Oh, but wow. Then, once I went back, I've been going back pretty much every year. Yeah, and obviously mm-hmm. that's become a pretty significant part of, or inspiration for a lot of the work you've done. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and it's interesting, uh, a lot of the work I've done, particularly Shanty Megastructures, which is a project of mine, um, focuses on Lagos. It's, it's, so it's a blend of sort of uh, nostalgia with a place that I hadn't been to in a very long time. But also, um, Lagos is one of the fastest growing megacities. So as someone with the background in architecture and an interest in urban design um, and kind of the way urban, urban spaces grow and evolve, it also holds that significance for me as well. After you moved to the States, where did you, find, where did you and your family find yourselves? Um, so it's interesting because we sort of moved around quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, relatively speaking. And so people sometimes think I'm a military kid, but it's more like my mom's academic trajectory. So she was a grad student, um, at Cornell University, got her PhD and then moved to, um, Indiana for university, sorry, Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, um, you know, where she was teaching and then on to, um, Claremont Colleges, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, um, you know, where she became a tenured professor at Scripps College. So that's sort of my, you know, first, you know, my mom's family is from America. So from actually right here in um, this area in D.C., so kind of got our bearings in D.C. and then moved to Ithaca and then moved to Bloomington and then moved to Los Angeles. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much my upbringing is moving every three or four years. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that that obviously, I think, I I wonder how much that 
kind of informed the work you do because it, it did give you exposure to a lot of different mm-hmm. ur- kinds of urban experiences. I absolutely, imagine. absolutely. No, it really informed my work. Um, new urban spaces, but also kind of always having to adapt to someplace new and having to navigate, you know, these 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 kind of new conditions um, and, you know, conditions being vastly different. When I moved from um, particularly Indiana to, you know, uh, Claremont and, and, you know, Los Angeles, was, it was it was it was a it was like night and day. I, I had no idea what it was going to look like. And it looked almost like outer space to me. You know what I mean? Just in terms of like the architecture, the vegetation. I went from like this, you know, your classic Midwest or, you know, East Coast school stone and brick and indoors mm-hmm. to now this kind of strange metal concrete bunker outdoor high school kind of thing. <laughs> so it was just, yeah, I mean, so it definitely that, you know, really, really kind of jogged my imagination. Yeah, and you, I know you eventually found yourself actually back in Ithaca when you went to Cornell, right? Yes, mm-hmm. Um, and you went for you went for architecture, yes, right? Yes, yes. When did you start to? When did your interest in architecture start to get peaked? When did you know that that's something that you wanted to kind of pursue as an actual proper field of study? Um, I knew it from a very young age. I'd say about five years old. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I was very lucky. If, uh, there was, you know, there wasn't a. Um, I mean, of course, discovery still occurred once I realized how much more expansive the field and the practice of architecture and design um, can be and is. But, um, you know, my mom would take my brother and myself to the public library wherever we lived every Saturday and we'd take out books. And a lot of the books, you know, so she geared it towards our interests. You know, my brother was big into sports, music, so that's kind of, and science, so that's kind of the books he'd take out. And um, me and my mom had, like, art, design, uh, architecture. So, you know, just taking out those big coffee table picture books and really looking through them. And so from a very early age, um, I, th- I thought architecture was a great medium between, you know, um, being creative and artist. Cause I, you know, I was a decent drawer. So I wasn't like, I didn't see myself necessarily as like an artist artist, but I saw myself as someone who liked to draw and design spaces and imagine new worlds and, you know, tell stories. And so architecture seemed like a great medium from a very early age. When did you make the transition from architecture to kind of more, I guess, for lack of a better word, for for more more like freeform creative art as you're doing now? Mm -hmm. Because obviously those two are linked. Yeah. Um, When did you, when did you kind of make that transition was it gradual was it there's a specific moment where you knew you wanted to do art um yeah so I graduated uh from college and then I moved to New York and was working for this multidisciplinary design firm um called D-Box and I just had an enormous amount of freedom to create sort of fantastical worlds these kind of CGI set designs for um music fashion sports editorials um but then I got invited uh, to be part of an exhibit at the Studio Museum in Harlem that featured black architects. Um, and it was called Harlem World Metropolis is Metaphor. So in kind of realizing the artwork that I was producing for this, um, for this exhibit, uh, I sort of saw kind of the time constraints I had between having a job that was more than a nine to five, um, 
more like a kind of like 10 to 8, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then, and then also being compulsively creative and thinking, oh, you know, the, the idea of being a, um, an, an artist and deploying my architectural kind of sensibilities is, is a possibility. So I decided to quit my job um, after four years of working there. So 2000, 2004, um, I quit in 2004 and started to pursue art pretty much full time. Yeah, and that, that link between the two fascinates me because obviously I think just looking, I think anyone who looks at your work just on its surface can see how architectural and how mm-hmm. kind of design-driven it is. At least from an outside perspective, you use, it seems like you use a lot of maps, a lot of urban design in your work. Yeah. How has architecture and your, your background in architecture impacted the work that you are still doing today? Um, you know, I pretty much patterned my art practice uh, after my studio education. So I went to Cornell University, which is known, and particularly at that time, as a pretty conceptual school, which is why, you know, um, I came out of Cornell interested in much more than simply going to work for a large corporate for- firm mm-hmm. and, you know, designing doorknobs and bathroom fix. You know what I mean? I wanted, you know, like I wanted to kind of tell larger stories um, and get them out there um, with sort of more immediacy and urgency. And, you know, so I just, I mean, it, it really informs a lot of my work uh, because, as I mentioned, I patterned after the studio environment, which is you have a project, you have sometimes a program, um and then you set a series of conditions and challenges for you to then design and create something. And almost every project that I do, I take that approach. What is the narrative? Um, either it's a story or it's a conceptual narrative or it could be a contemporary issue that I want to explore. Um, and then I figure out what the program may be. Program not necessarily meaning like the function of a habitable building, but, you know... Um, what am I creating? What am I responding to? And then from there, you know, working within the conventions of the architectural medium, drawing, collage, uh, model making, sculpture, and now, you know, experimental film and larger installations um, in order to realize the kind of narratives that I'm trying to um, in- investigate. Narrative is an inherent part of art, but it's also an mm-hmm. inherent part mm-hmm. of architecture and city design. Um, yes. I was hoping you could speak to that a little bit because I think. When people, a lot of people see a building or a city block, they might just see concrete or brick. Mm-hmm, um, obviously, mm-hmm. Old Town full of full of brick, and mm-hmm, people can yeah. <laughs> people can see it on its surface and say that's pretty, that's that looks good. Um, but architecture can also tell us a lot about our culture and society and what those priorities and what or who are arbitrating those priorities mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm, Could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about? what you see as kind of the role of what architecture can do in, I guess, society at large. And that might be a large question mm-hmm. to tackle. but Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a large question. Yeah. But <laughs> I'll try and answer from my perspective as best as I can. So for certain projects, my approach um, in, in terms of creating sort of architecturally inspired works is sometimes to say what architecture cannot do, yeah. right? Architecture is confounded by everything from policy to bureaucracy to capitalism, capital developments, and all of these things, right? And so um, a lot of times, the you know, well, the sort of prevailing public imagination is that architecture can solve problems, you know, mm-hmm. when really there's so many more factors that kind of come into play. 
But architecture, I mean, it 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 has multiple narratives, and it can tell you a lot about history, a lot about space, a lot about a culture. I believe. I, I think. I think this administration mentioned that they wanted to like put in a mandate that civic and government buildings would be in like classical or neoclassical, and there was a huge uproar around that, right? So, I mean, you know, these things sort of tell you about, um, you know, authority and power, and, and, and that manifests in so many details that you see within the architecture from a column to a plinth or this, or, you know, any sort of ornamentation um, beyond the kind of organizing of spatial hierarchies that makes architecture a kind of habitable and you know experienced it you know in which you kind of experience space yeah another thing in your work that you seem to be i would i would say obsessed with but i want to i don't want to offend cityscapes and urban landscapes are something you seem to be fascinated by and Mm -hmm, obviously mm -hmm. i mean there's there's the architecture of buildings but there's also the architecture of building a city and kind of planning a city and those are those two are linked in Mm -hmm. in certain ways one of your one of your series i guess you could call it it's settlements and city strategies kind Mm -hmm. of explore cities in a really unique way could you talk a little bit about that series and how how you kind of view cities um from a kind of from a top-down perspective as Mm -hmm. kind of a, Mm -hmm. a, a map i guess you could say yeah no um i love maps uh, because we kind of accept them as gospel when we yeah. see them. But again, you know, we also know the sort of unfolded Cartesian map is a is a kind of distortion of scale and space and size, and that's rooted in also decisions made by, you know, individuals who created those maps. Um, and I also, again, love the kind of over overall aerial view and looking down, I like patterns and patterning and sequencing so, you know, city uh, settlements and, and urban growth strategies was an interesting project because it was, it had sort of two parts. First, we're a series of, I think, 12 to 16 abstracted planometric organizations of, of kind of different ways of approaching city, city design and urban design. An interesting thing is those were based off a set of microsli- uh, microscopic slides I found um, of liquids of various viscosities interacting on that cellular level. And so just looking through them, I thought, you know, taking the micro and projecting it into the macro, couldn't this be a very fascinating way of thinking about organizing a city in public space and private space and commercial space and residential space and how it all meanders and and, 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 and interacts? And I was particularly uh, fascinated with the kind of organic um, sort of self-perpetuating, a- mm-hmm. self-perpetuating aspect of, of these microscopic images as imagining a kind of city developing in a very organic way. Of course, with a set of parameters, guiding parameters. And so it was just exciting to do, um, you know, these 12, 16 different studies of what that could look like. Um, and then they were accompanied by a set of perspectives um, that was the city settlement aspect. And so that was just my interest in different city typologies from kind of um, a labyrinthine, Middle Eastern, North African, you know, um, very sort of close, tight buildings with narrow uh, interweaving walkways um, 
to also, you know, informal settlements like uh, hillside favelas of, um, you know, Brazil. Those were just a series of kind of my meditations on, you know, four different sort of city cityscapes. Um, then with a kind of strange, uh, depopulated sci-fi aspect to them as well. Um, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but sci-fi is also yeah. very central to a lot of the stuff that I do. So that, that project was um, a very fun one. And that, it's, it's interesting because that project was my first uh, pivot away from uh, prior work, which was more kind of architect, like it was a collage of architectural imagery and drawings and note taking because I was trying to reconcile whether my architectural drawings could be considered artwork um, because the art world is a very exclusive and protected community, right? So I th I'm I'm cool with what I'm making, but, you know, are they going to be cool with what I'm making? So that was me, you know, sort of moving away from architecture to just scenes because these scenes weren't painted. I worked digitally, so I, you know, was trying to figure out if this could be considered art, but ultimately I always kind of do what I want to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and hope it lands. I did. I did want to talk about the science fiction aspect of your work mm -hmm. because it's pervasive. I think it's it's clear from a lot of the work that you've done, especially um, as we kind of as you mentioned earlier that that the Shanty Megastructure series is fascinating. Mm -hmm. As I mean, just as an act of world building, I, I'm I'm interested in what science fiction you choose to pull from because a lot of your a lot of the work you've done, especially the Shanty Megastructure series, is obviously clearly embedded in like a, a a tradition of afrofuturism mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, and kind of mm -hmm. looking at looking at non-western cities as kind of sites that are worth exploring um yeah so shanty megastructures for lagos nigeria um it's an ongoing project it started around 2012 as an aia competition skyscraper competition that i did not complete <laughs> that i just left and came back to about three years later for the Shenzhen Biennial. And so that's when I created the first six montages of this sort of organic uh, sci-fi cityscape that, you know, used the language of the informal uh, shanties and, and slums found throughout, uh, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I was very much inspired um, by Libius Woods, who, um, is an is an incredible architect that created a lot of these sort of fantastical drawings that engaged with um, kind of politics and war and you know and and so Libius Woods kind of was the first sort of inspiration directly that, that let me know that like oh I could have a like a life career um, without necessarily building anything but really these architectural drawings and investigations um, of course I'm you know, it, it's inspired by things like Blade Runner and Metropolis and, you know, the, a lot of the kind of classic mm -hmm. um, Western sci-fi. I'm also very interested in steampunk. And so it's kind of less that I was looking at a kind of Afro-futurist uh, tradition, but I was more looking at what a steampunk would look like outside of a mm -hmm. Western um, framing, right? Steampunk is sort of Edwardian, Victorian, um sort of architecture and gadgetry and right so it's 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 like historical but it's 
futuristic as well. Again, you know, steam engines and all these complicated clockwork contraptions, um, which feel informal. You know, it's not like super slick emergent technology, right? And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to kind of reimagine that sort of steampunk within the context of a mega city like Lagos, and sort of reimagine what that would look like. And then um, someone, you know, I, I I started lecturing about the work and being invited to talk about it. And I believe I was at UC Riverside. I gave I gave a talk and. And I had never heard of solar punk, you know, so I'm not even a super diehide sci-fi person. I just, yeah, I, I just like what I like, you know, yeah. I don't make a, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't like, I'm not an ideologue about it. You know what I mean? So, um, someone mentioned solar, oh, this is very solar punk. And then I started looking up solar punk and I was like, oh, this is very cool. Cause it's steampunk, but it's green technologies, um, bioforms and all of this other stuff. So then I started, you know, tweaking back and forth between, um, the sort of Afrofuturist, simply because it's cited within Lagos, right? So conversely, you wouldn't even necessarily have to name it. It would just be what it is and be like, it's in Lagos. So then it gives you, right? It gives you a sense of kind of what the um, work is about. The concept of uh, taking, I guess, communities even within Lagos and elevating them to the point where like literally elevating them mm, to the point yeah, where you can yeah. you, they're very visible that's obviously a clear focus of the series yes, like, yes i mean for people who don't know it's 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 essentially taking like these shanty towns and manifesting them as like skyscrapers you'd normally think of as kind of like high-end development exactly yeah that was very much um at the roots of the first iteration of shanty megastructures was all about visibility extending visibility to these marginalized communities that are at uh, best simply ignored and at worst uh, uh, completely bulldozed and destroyed, you know, and, and communities, whole communities displaced. And so it was about, you know, considering the fact that a lot of the urban development, large-scale urban development is always luxury condominiums, residential office complexes, um, but instead creating these informal settlements and slums at that scale of the sort of large scale corporate developments um, and particularly citing them within um, areas of, of Lagos of kind of esteemed and privileged real estate. And again, um, thinking of science fiction and, and sort of um, how, how not pervasive, you know, a kind of imagining um, African or black spaces are within science fiction. And so that became a, a sort of point of interest as well. And um, there's a product, a project that I did that preceded Shanty Megastructures was called New Lagos. It's a collaboration uh, with a friend, uh, colleague, Wale Oyejide, who runs um, a menswear line, Ikeria Jones. So I created a series uh, in collaboration with him of images that depicted certain sites throughout Lagos um, but very much through a sci-fi lens. And neither of us expected that work to be as radical and as popular as it became. Till this day, it's probably the biggest thing I've done, and it probably projected me further, you know, uh, along in my career, just because, I mean, he, he, he uploaded the images to his Tumblr page at the time, and then very quickly we just started you know, that, you know, Tumblr, you could repost and re, you know, so very quickly it just kind of in a way 
went kind of low level viral, but you know, there's an enormous amount of interest in seeing images that juxtaposed um, Africa, Lagos, Nigeria, um, sort of market market culture with science fiction elements. It's it's more radical than it should be, you know, and it preceded things like Black Panther by you know eight eight years or so. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's kind of uh, interesting that it was just what we were doing, but I guess it just hadn't been seen. Yeah, and I think people are hungry, whether whether they are of those groups mm-hmm. or not. People are hungry think for so. new stories and Absolutely. new worlds for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Compass Real Estate in Alexandria. By pairing the region's top agents with technology, Compass delivers an incomparable client experience for both the first-time buyer and the seasoned seller. Visit Compass today on King Street or find them online at compass.com. As you're talking, obviously, it's it's should be clear that a piece of your work is it's it's focused on space, concepts of space, and to that point, you've done a lot of public art installations as well. Yes. Um, large, large scale public art installations, mm-hmm. kind of what you're doing in Alexandria as well. Um, when did you start doing installations like this? And, and for you, what is, what is the power of something like that in the public sphere? Um, no, that's a great question. Um, public art really allowed me to be a full-time artist. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> it really, you know, because I, I was actually lucky when I first started doing artwork. I, I've just been entrenched in architectural visualization for a long time. I could do it in my sleep. I was quick at it. So I was able to just have a freelance, you know, gig to pay, pay um, you know, my bills and my rent and just to live and then pursue art um, when I wasn't under commission. Um, no, public art, I kind of... Um, I got really lucky. So um, I actually started an architecture practice called Freeform Deform with a couple colleagues from Cornell. And um, it's because we all kind of got laid off after the subprime uh, collapse. So we decided yeah. instead of looking for jobs and me, instead of trying to drum up new clients, let's start this practice. Um, and it's still being held by, um, you know, one of my good friends is still, you know, um, running it. But um, I, I kind of came out of that around 2012 and just really started applying to like I really needed to get back into art so I started just applying for so many different residencies and then I got a couple here and I got a couple there and then that kind of started to snowball um but in 2016 a few years later I I got like five residencies in one year and one of them was the Headlands um, Art Center which is in uh, Marin County right outside of San Francisco and um the assistant curator of the Coachella uh, Valley Music and Arts Festival, Rafi Lehrer, had seen that I was one of the residents at Headlands for that spring or summer. Um, and I had a series of small collages called Hi-Fi to Steel, um, just these small 9 by 12 collages. Mm-hmm. But he really liked them, and so he reached out to Paul Clemente, the director, and was like, I think we should get this guy to make a really huge Coachella sculpture based off of this very small collage. And so for me, my public art career and trajectory um, was to start off with like the biggest commission (laughs) until my most recent one, um, which is a Shirley Chisholm commission in, in Brooklyn. But I started off with my biggest commission first, um, which then just, you know, then projected me into public art space, you know, biggest, highest profile, right? Yeah, and yeah. so 
Um, we did turn one of my collages uh, into a 50-foot-tall sculpture um, that was featured in 2017 Coachella. And then so from there, I was like, public art has a very kind of direct best practices where the artist gets 20% of whatever the budget is. Um, I'm an artist, but I'm not a scenester or a smooth or smoocher, you know, so I'm not good at like selling my work. I just like to make it and put it out there. And so, you know, after Coachella, I just, you know, um, built a sort of portfolio and just started applying to as many public art projects as I could. And then, you know, little by little, I started getting more and more and more. Um, and now, knock on wood, it's, it's almost kind of a feedback loop. The more I do, the yeah. more I get offered. Um, and, and, and I'm shortlisted for. So um, I love public art because it, it's, it's an opportunity to engage with a public that um, is outside of sort of the artistic or the architectural world. My architectural world is very academic. My artistic world is very, um, you know, kind of exclusive. You know, even friends that I've went to school with are intimidated by, you know, certain gallery spaces. Um, so I really love public art for just putting art and ideas in an everyday general public and you're able to kind of see different engagements with your work um, that you don't really get in in sort of other kind of more um, protected spaces of, of art. Yeah, and I'd imagine it allows you to kind of toy with those ideas of visibility and access. I, obviously, ideas Absolutely. you're interested in, yeah. in different yeah. ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it does. Um, and the great thing about public art and my love of cities is that the public art commissions come from vastly different cities. So it's my op so I get a, an opportunity to travel to a, a, a city I may not have been, you know, to before, and investigate a little bit of its the, its history, the culture, um, the demographics, the environments. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm of course doing this project here in Alexandria, Virginia, but. I've done ones in Grand Rapids. I have one in Miami and Hollywood, Florida. Um, also Arlington, um, a couple in Brooklyn, one I started in Seattle. So all of these different cities where it's like I get to really do a kind of quick, um, but I try and be kind of kind of comprehensive dive and research into the community, um, the, the communities that, that make up these, these, these urban spaces in these cities. One thing I wanted to quickly touch on in terms of your your public artwork, and it, I guess you could you could say it's not public, but it's still mm. sort of similar kind of large scale installations. You've done some work for Starbucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, I did. <laughs> before we get talk about Alexandria, I want to quickly uh, talk about how yeah. how that came about and why you decided to actually mm -hmm. to do it. Because I would I would think that there'd be mm. a little bit of hesitance to do something that's a, a lot more corporate yeah no it's it's interesting you're right and the funny thing is when i give lectures and i talk about things like shanty megastructures and capitalism and developments and then if you know if, if i'm showing if i've shown some of the starbucks work it's like this is a you know i mean especially i get the young students who are reading marx and they're just like this is you know they right they call me out for a hypocrisy in the work, right, yeah, and yeah. contradictions. Um, Starbucks was interesting. It was, it was, it was actually, um, it was, you know, um, uh, I, I, and, and, and I did quite a few Starbucks mm -hmm. uh, murals and projects, and it's really kind of what kept me afloat for a very long time. Uh, a good friend of mine and colleague, Sojourner Judson, she uh, went to Cornell, and she worked for um, Starbucks 
uh, architecture arm in in New York. And so, of course, you know, Starbucks was seen as kind of cookie cutter and really coming in and colonizing these spaces. I think it, it sort of got out of hand when they had a Starbucks, I guess, in Forbidden City or something. Um, but uh, around that time, they had kind of a new uh, sort of idea to really uh, renovate a lot of the Starbucks all throughout you know, the, the various cities and kind of source more local materials. And instead of putting up just sort of corporate graphics, um, work with local artists to create artwork for, specific artwork for the stores. So Sojo reached out to me because they were renovating two um, Starbucks uh, stores in Harlem. And so she was like, hey, Starbucks is doing this new thing. Do you, you know, would you like to come in and create a mural? And I said, sure, you know. And she said, you know, like you can make it very specific to Harlem and, you know, the community and do. So it was it was, it was kind of an interesting sort of design challenge mm-hmm. um, to make these murals, um, you know, for, for Starbucks. Um, and interesting uh, because I then had you know, even larger Starbucks projects like the one for the Barclays Center um, and then for their flagship store in Chicago. Uh, So between the Starbucks murals, which, you know, these two were like 20 feet, 30 feet high, and Coachella, I immediately had a public art portfolio. So my very first public art portfolio featured like, you know, these Mm large-scale Starbucks murals and then these, um, and 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 then Coachella. So yeah, I mean for me it was um so it, it yeah, it, it, it at the time, I mean this 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 started back in 2004. So and I just quit my job. So it was less about deciding to do a very commercial thing and having an a, like an opportunity to create, you know, these these um artworks um that would help me pay my bills but were also, I mean I, I'm always I always interested in kind of a design challenge. So each one was approached with, you know, kind of public art on a small scale. The majority of ones I had had done were in New York, but I was looking, oh, now we're in the Flatiron District. Now we're in Harlem or now I'm I'm in Brooklyn. And so I'm creating artwork around what's going on in the neighborhood and trying to reflect that in the work. Yeah, and you know people are going to see it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, that, that was kind of that. Yeah, so that was very much... Um, early public artwork, you know, and people be like, oh, I saw your thing, and, you know, so. And obviously, you're, one of your more recent things is what you're doing here in Alexandria. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about how you first got involved with kind of working with the with the city and how you've kind of brought, it's called Brought Knit Labor's Legacies, how yes. you brought this public art installation to life. How did this first start? I believe I got invited <laughs> um, through via partnership uh, and in collaboration with the Office of the Arts, um, it was an invitation, um, and so um, kind of so sort of a shortlist was interviewed um, for um, I guess the one last year, and then um, they decided to go with the Mirror Mirror uh, as kind mm-hmm. of the, the the inaugural project, and then invited me back for this year. Uh, to really conceive of a project um, in Alexandria, Virginia, that really investigated kind of the waterfront space, but also the history. And so I did a new, you know, I did sort of, you know, handful of trips 
just sort of taking in the building and the urban landscape and the language, but then also looking at kind of the history of uh, Alexandria as a port city mm-hmm. and then discovering, not even myself knowing that it was the largest, um, you know, uh, Franklin and Armfield was pretty much the largest uh, slave slave owning firm in the United States um, for the domestic slave trade. I was very familiar, and I think a lot of people were very familiar with the Atlantic slave trade, the triangle, but not the domestic slave trade. I actually never really thought about that. Um, and so it seemed incredibly significant and rooted uh, within the history of the city, inextricably so. And so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of investigate how it is um, pretty much one story with histories that are uncomfortable to talk about. We tend to isolate them um, and separate them from the kind of general triumphant city of a history. This was an amazing merchant port city that, you know, they had all of these um, exports and, you know, tobacco and hemp and flour and, and then, you know, but then there's this, uh, you know, kind of um, uglier side of, of kind of slavery, but it's never really viewed as kind of, it's, it's the same, you know, it's the same history. Where did the name come from? The name came from kind of after I designed the work. <laughs> Uh, so in architecture, we call that post-rationale. So I was kind of <laughs> looking at it like, what are, you know, I, was like, I mean, I really thought very hard of, 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 like about the name, but then I, I thought that it kind of had each, each word sort of had multiple entendres, right? So rot, things that are rot are kind of hard won, wrenched from the earth. So the kind of idea of resilience um, and then knit. Um, is, you know, both the, the ground pattern, which is part of my installation, which references, you know, the, uh, the history of, of black and African-American quilt making. Um, that's knitting, but also knitting is a mending of like bones. So a mending and kind of a, you know, a way of acknowledging the difficulties of history and, and working, you know, and, and, and growing and evolving from mm-hmm. that. So knit is sewing and knit is mending. And then labors, of course, labors, both um, unethical, <laughs> right, to put it very lightly, yeah. um, but then just a practice of work and working. And then legacies, you know, the fact that this is um, just one legacy, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought, you know, it might be a kind of lengthy title, but still I think I, I felt it kind of captured what... Um, my installation and the artwork was, 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 was about, is about. What can people expect from the piece itself? There's four um, bench-like seating sculptures. Um, and again, um, there's a quilt-like ground mural. Folks can expect to see these four profiles, um, uh, two men, two women, um, sort of abstracted black figures um, that embody kind of iconography that um, reflects some of the major industries um, of, of, of Alexandria yeah. and its history. Yeah, I understand you tied to the history you're talking about. You, you mm-hmm. had a chance to go to the Freedom House? Yeah, yeah. So I went to the Freedom House and I even did a couple community engagements, um, sit-down sessions with members from the historic community here in Alexandria, Virginia, just to, you know, it... it it's 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 still artwork, so it's not like um, 
It's not like a school le- lesson. It's you know some. I mean, I'm, I I I wanted to address certain things, but not be like pedantic. You know what I mean? But I did want to have a conversation with folks from the historical community just to make sure that you know the things that I you know the, the things that I am looking at were actually part of the history and did have a relationship with um, both you know the the enslaved um, and then freed freed black community as well as the broader community of, of Alexandria I'm I'm very pleased I'm very pleased and excited about it it's interesting when you're designing something in the computer you know what I mean and you're building a model and you're making the drawings and you have your understanding of scale that's confined to the scale of your monitor but then to see it on the ground and come together um, is always really exciting to then look at and say, okay, I think, yeah, this was a good decision to position it. You know, like, you know, you kind of map it out in your mind, but when you can see it come together in in real time, in reality, it's always, it's always a very rewarding feeling. Yeah. I can't wait to see it become a reality. Um, Thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me, Olekon. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. Yeah. And thank you for listening, Alexandria. We'll see you next time.